Every time we preach the gospel, we are planting a seed, an extremely forceful seed that will save the individual, but not just save the individual, but will bring the kingdom of God from heaven down here on earth. And that will eventually transform and change peoples, cultures, families, communities, and the nations. That was Pastor Michael Panderas in one of our monthly Every Nation Philippines staff meetings. In this podcast, we talk about the power of the gospel and our responsibility as a movement to take it to every nation. And so our highest ministry is the gospel. Our highest hopes is the gospel. And our highest duty is to take the gospel to every nation. Welcome to the Leading Together podcast, where we take an inside look at how we develop a leadership culture at Victory and Every Nation Philippines. We believe that leadership is best done together, and that's why we do this podcast. We hope this helps you lead better together. I'm Ryan. I'm part of our creative team in Victory and Every Nation Philippines. And I'm Elle, a campus missionary from Every Nation Campus. We're glad to have you listen to this episode of Leading Together about the power of the gospel. In the past two years, amidst the restrictions brought about by the pandemic, by God's grace, we were able to send out missionaries, plant more churches, and even ordain new pastors in other nations. This shows that nothing can stop the gospel from spreading, not even a global health crisis. There's a reason why we're called Every Nation. It's not just a name, but a declaration we're making as a movement. God has called us to reach every nation in our generation. In this podcast, Pastor Michael Paderes, a member of the Bishop's Council of Every Nation Philippines, discusses the power of the gospel and our heart to reach the nations. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, okay, verses 14 and 15. You know, the amazing thing about reading the Bible is we just get to understand the mind of God just a little bit better. And even more fascinating is that we get to understand the mind of God through the minds of the heroes of the Bible. And these were not religious people. These were complex men. I mean, for example, take Abraham, the father of the faith, who himself struggled with unbelief. Remember, he made some stupid decisions because of his doubt. You have Moses, the first truly national leader who led his nation to the promised land, but disqualified himself in the process. You have David, the first guy to make emo posts who posted about his Jewish privilege and first world problems in the Psalms. And then we get to Paul. Daming issues ni Paul. Inaway lahat. Barnabas. Inaway si Peter. Inaway yung Galatians. Inaway yung Corinthians. But because this is Missions Month, we're going to focus on Paul this morning. And in particular, we're going to ask ourselves the question, what compelled Paul to go to the nations. Why was Paul so committed to go to the nations and to keep on going? Remember when he and Barnabas were sent out, wala namang world missions nung araw. Eh. Nobody had thought of the word missionary and still they went. So again, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul said he was under obligation. In the original Greek, if you look that word up, it means 
Paul felt indebted. It was a matter of duty. And you know, sometimes when the original Greek doesn't quite capture it, there's another Bible tool we can use. That's the original Pinoy. Okay? So we look at the Pinoy version, what it says, which is an accurate version, by the way. Sabi ni Paul, May obligasyon kasi ako sa lahat ng tao, sa mga civilized at sa mga hindi, sa mga marunong at sa mga walang alam. Kaya nga gusto-gusto ko rin i-preach ang magandang balita dyan sa inyo sa Rome. So again, why did Paul feel so obligated? See, Paul's conversion was so formative that it reformatted the way he saw himself, the nations, and the world. In fact, the question that Paul really confronts us with is that was our conversion so formative that it changed the way we see the world, the way we see the nations, the way we see life. So whenever Paul brought us back to the gospel, Paul wasn't being religious. He was being true. In fact, if you read every single one of Paul's epistles within the first two chapters, Paul will bring you to what the gospel has to say. And again, Paul wasn't being religious. Whatever the issue he was addressing, whatever the problem in the world or in the church, he grounded everything in the gospel. And that's why those two verses capture how Paul viewed himself, the peoples, and the world. I mean, just look at how Paul described his relationship with the gospel in just in chapter 1. In verse 1, sabi niya, he was set apart for the gospel. In verse 9, he says, he serves God in the gospel of his son. Again, verse 14, he's under obligation to preach. In verses 16 and 17, he's not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, for Paul, the gospel was a personal, life-changing encounter. It's a calling. It's his act of service. It's a matter of duty. It's the power of God to be shared with others. In one phrase, it was the reason for which Paul was created. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, Paul said, though I'm free from all, I made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them, in its blessings. Paul made himself a servant, a Jew, under the law, outside the law, weak, an apostle, a tent maker, a missionary, all things to all people. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Paul would have traded places with anyone in order to preach the gospel. In other words, my first point this morning is that our highest ministry is the gospel. You know, in this movement, we have different positions, different titles, different roles. Some are senior pastors, some are pastors, some are admin staff, some are cross-cultural missionaries, some are campus missionaries. You know what those are? Those are just our excuses so that we can preach the gospel in our context. But at the end of the day, all of us have just one calling, have one ministry. 
It's the ministry of the gospel. We are all ministers of the gospel. Now, Rome was the capital of the known world when Paul wrote this. A mega city with actually one of the first cities in history to break a million people. So a million people in Rome at this time. So this is the first picture we have of how the church and the gospel penetrated a mega city. You know, a political hub, a commercial hub, you know, poverty, uh, abuse, diverse, religious, uh, racial diversity. And you know what happened? The church thrived. In fact, according to historians, when Paul wrote this, there were thousands of believers. Even in the palace, there were believers. In fact, in about 300 years, this church would become the central church in all of Christianity. But there was a problem. Well, there were thousands of believers. There were Jewish churches and there were Gentile churches. There were few, some say no church at all, where both Jew and Gentile worshipped together. And so what was Paul's response? He brought them back to the gospel. Sabinya, the peace of God, the righteousness of God, the spirit in us. Again, that was not a religious answer. That was a true answer rooted in the gospel. Remember, Paul was born a Jew, but he was a Roman citizen. He was raised in Tarsus, but educated in Jerusalem. He was trained as a Pharisee, but he was fluent in Greek philosophy, and he knew how to work with his hands. In other words, Paul could talk politics with Romans, religion with Jews, do business with Gentiles, and talk philosophy with the Greek. In other words, Paul was not trivializing cultural and racial division. Paul understood racial division more than any one of us. But what was Paul's answer? The peace of God. In other words, this is what Paul was saying. If the gospel could bridge the greatest gap that ever existed between God and man, how much more can it bring healing and reconciliation to any racial, cultural, or linguistic issue? See, the cross made peace, not just between God and man, but within man, among men and with creation. You see, in verse 16, we didn't go there, but remember, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And a lot of commentators make a big deal about that word power in Greek as dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, which is all true. It's just that gunpowder wasn't invented until 900 years after Paul wrote this, and dynamite didn't come into existence until another 1,000 years. So in other words, that's not the picture that Paul was trying to project here. What Paul was trying to project here is that that word dunamis meant there is inherent, miraculous, divine, violent power. Not violent that brings death or destruction. That's man's gospel. But violent in that it's forceful. It's extremely forceful. In other words, there's a miraculous divine power in the message of the gospel that's extremely forceful, that cannot and will not and will never return void. That's why in Galatians 1, 11 to 12, Paul said, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In our message is a divine, violent, extremely forceful, miraculous power. 
And you know what? Dr. Rice Brooks captured all of that in three sentences. Think about that. Remember Dr. Rice's definition of the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. After three days, he rose again from the dead, proving that he is the son of God and offering salvation and forgiveness of sins to anyone who would repent and believe. In those three sentences is the inherent, extremely forceful, violent, divine, miraculous power of God. In those three sentences, Paul hinged all of his hopes for man, for the nations, and for the whole world. And so our highest hope for the world is the gospel. Our highest ministry is the gospel, and our highest hope for the world is the gospel. Now many say Paul's greatest work is the book of Romans. In fact, a lot of um, scholars say it is one of the greatest works of literature, period. And we know why, because Paul expounded on the gospel in the book of Romans. But you know what? In the first 17 verses of Romans alone, before he started in the gospel in chapter 2, four times Paul already talked about the nations. In Romans 1 verse 5, he says, all the nations. In verse 8, he said, all the world. Verse 14, both to Greeks and to the barbarians. Verse 16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, the nations are not a detail of the gospel. It's not a sub-point of the gospel. It's a part of the gospel. In fact, it's the mission of the gospel. Our ministry of the gospel will not be fulfilled until we take the gospel to every nation. Why? What happens when we preach the gospel? Remember, we plant a seed every time we declare the gospel. And what did Jesus use the seed as a metaphor for? The salvation of an individual, but also the kingdom of God. And so every time we preach the gospel, we are planting a seed, an extremely forceful seed that will save the individual, but not just save the individual, but will bring the kingdom of God from heaven down here on earth. And that will eventually transform and change peoples, cultures, families, communities, and the nations. That's why Paul said in Romans 15, 19 to 20, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. After Paul had preached the gospel to the entire eastern half of the Roman Empire, Paul said, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel in that area. And that's why from here on, he was turning west. Again, the ministry of the gospel is not fulfilled until all nations have heard. The ministry of the gospel is not simply getting individuals saved, but redeeming every nation. Again, verse 14, Paul said, I am under obligation. You know, 
medyo pinag-isipan ko yun. Why would Paul use the concept of obligation? I mean, if, if we were working together and I wanted to encourage you to do your work, and sinabi ko, eh, trabaho mo yan eh. Obligasyon mo yan eh. May utang na loob ko eh. Parang, that's the least motivational thing I could tell you, right? And so, again, when we're trying to understand scripture, number one, there's always the original Pinoy. But number two, pag di mo pa rin magets, you turn to the classical preachers, okay? And in this case, we'll look at Reverend William Wallace, okay? And remember, at the Battle of Sterling, when, you know, the farmer soldiers faced the entire English army, okay? And they were afraid. They were about to turn back. What did Pastor William say? Sabi niya, sons of Scotland, have you, you have come here to fight as free men, and free men you are. What would you do with that freedom? Will you fight? What did Pastor William do? He appealed to obligation. Sabi niya, you're sons of Scotland. He appealed to their patriotism and to freedom. And what did the, how did they respond? Diba, in other words, I realize this. When it comes to routine, daily stuff, you don't appeal to duty. That's the worst thing you can do. But when it comes to our highest ideals, things we're willing to die for, there is no higher motivation than to appeal to duty. And so our highest ministry is the gospel. Our highest hopes is the gospel. And our highest duty is to take the gospel to every nation. And my prayer and hope is that as a movement that calls itself every nation, we would see the mission of taking the gospel to every nation as a matter of duty, as a matter of obligation, and as a matter of honor. This is not a job just for our cross-cultural missionaries. This is a matter of the gospel. This is a matter of our entire movement. Can I just pray for all of you before I turn it over to Dr. Junis Kasar? Would you all just bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, as disciples, as staff, as pastors, as missionaries of every nation, Lord, we, may we see ourselves by your grace as under obligation to preach the gospel. Lord, not just to save individual lives, but to change nations, to reconcile races, Lord, to bridge cultural differences. And Lord, we will only consider the ministry of the gospel fulfilled when we have reached every nation and every campus. Amen. That was an inspiring and challenging message. The gospel is truly unstoppable, and we will continue to ask God as a church to use us to bring it to places that don't know about it yet. May we not forget about the power of the gospel to change us and transform nations. You can be part of what God is doing in the nations too. In Victory and Every Nation, there are many ways to participate. You can pray, give, and go to the nations to advance the kingdom of God. At this point, how is God calling you to take part in what He is doing in every nation? God has a promise for our nation and every other nation. Let's continue to trust Him 
and believe that we will see Him transform nations through the power of the gospel. Thanks for listening. If you would like to continue to talk about this, you can discuss this with your Victory Group leader. If you're not part of a Victory Group yet, you can visit victory.org.ph to find a church near you and get connected. If this has been helpful for you, or if you think of someone who can be encouraged by this podcast, you can share this with them and discuss it together. See you in the next episode of Leading Together. Leading Together.